0: Uh, Good to have you with us. Uh, Man, we made it to September. Isn't that great? Only two more months and it won't be hot anymore. (laughs) Praise God. Um, Hey, let me give you a quick uh, update on our building. You guys want to hear about the building? So here we go. Update. Uh, We want to do this from time to time at least once a month just to keep you up to speed. Uh, the conceptual drawings are done. By the way, if you're not familiar with the building that we're currently looking at purchasing, it's uh, where we have our offices currently uh, between uh, Bell and Union Hills, right off of Grover's. And it's a great location. We're looking at purchasing half of the, the building there. The Cox uh, is in the other part of that. They don't own that. We're purchasing it from the, uh, from the owners of the building they're great guys, but we've got first of all, we've uh, got the conceptual drawings are done, construction estimates almost finished, and a few banks are ready to give us a loan. We've got a few banks ready to give us a loan, so which is really good. It's good stuff, and uh, so here's our next step: is to uh, is to really work the purchase agreement it needs to be worked out between the attorneys. And uh, for us to continue to pray, all of us to continue to pray. We've got an elders' meeting this uh, Wednesday, so pray that God will continue to give us wisdom as we navigate this. Also, pray that the cost will be minimized, the progress maximized, and God glorified. You guys good for that? So, we're excited about what God's doing. And so that's that. This is a wrap-up of this teaching series. We started at Easter Sunday morning, and we started working our way through the book of Ephesians, and we called it Life. There's an app for that. And uh, now we're at Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 24. This is part 2 of Spiritual Warfare spiritual warfare. We're wrapping it up today, heading into a brand new teaching series next weekend, The Gospel in Life, How Grace Changes Everything. We're going to look at how grace uh, takes a hold of our hearts and then works out into our families and then on into our community. And that's where we're headed. Uh, Came across a story a number of years ago, Satan showed up to church. It was a little country church. The church was packed out with people He walked in the back door. People saw who it was. They began to freak out. People ran out the front or the back door, jumped out the windows. The place just completely cleared out, all except for one man who was just sitting there, cool, calm, and collected, reading his Bible. Satan thought, wow, what's up with this guy? He's not frightened by me. So he walked over and kind of tried to intimidate him. The guy didn't even flinch. So Satan said, hey, so you're not not afraid of me? The guy responded, no, not at all. Satan said, so why aren't you afraid of me? The guy looked right into Satan's eyes and said, because I'm married to your sister. (laughs) So how many guys uh, can... No, I'm not going to go there. How many gals uh, think that you're married to maybe Satan's brother? You don't need to be married to Satan's sister or married to his brother to not be intimidated by Satan. In fact, as we talked about last week, You have an adversary, and you are no match for him. But he is no match for your Savior. And that's why we need to be, as it says, as our text begins, it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, it's interesting how this uh, book is finishing up, and I talked about it last week, but it, it started with the wealth that we have in, in Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say a little bit that, that when you become a Christian, you begin to understand all the wealth, all that Christ has accomplished for you. It is stunningly beautiful. It is captivating to your heart. Nothing is more wonderful, great, amazing than the wealth that you have in Jesus Christ by the way let me just say something let's just get this out of the way right from the get go there's lights that are going to flicker from time to time in here and they can't figure it out here in the school so if this guy can preach through flickering lights Mr. ADD then you could probably listen through flickering lights so just keep focused and so we'll get that out of the way there you go that was it Did you, some of you didn't even know there were flickering lights that's how your life always is just <laughs> on off on off And about half, I always thought I was falling asleep. Oh, then I woke back up, and I fell. Okay. Okay, we got that out of the way. Okay. You can see it. You guys see the lights? I think it is telling me where most of the sin is in this place. (laughs) It should be flickering right over the top of me after I said that. (laughs) Okay, so wealth, that's how we started the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Unbelievable, unbelievable wealth that we have in Jesus Christ incomparable there's nothing that compares to the wealth that we have in Jesus Christ and then he moved from the wealth to our walk how do we walk this out in every aspect of our lives and then it ends with war what is that all about because to get the wealth into your walk you're going to have to war your belief becoming part of your behavior it's a major battle I mean, we've all had that experience. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, only to have a circumstance or people in our lives or the things happen to us in such a way that we would, we would almost behave in such a way that it wouldn't put on display that we really do have belief in the glorious name of Jesus and all that he's accomplished for us. And so, so it takes a major, major war to get the wealth into our walk. That's why he finishes this letter to the church in Ephesus like that. And so let me summarize what we talked about last week. If you, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go online and listen to the message. You can download it. And let me give you a summary of that message last week, is that Satan doesn't leave fang marks on your flesh, but lies in your heart to distort your view of God through temptation and accusation. People defect from the faith. You've heard me say this many times before. People defect from the faith for two reasons. Usually they're deceived by the pleasures of life. That's Satan's temptation. He tries to convince you that there is greater pleasure found in creation more so than in the Creator. Second reason why people defect from the faith, so the first one is that they are deceived by the pleasures of life. The second one is that they are disillusioned by the pressures, the pain, the problems of life. That's his accusation. So the one, he tries to pull us away from God, that's temptation. The other, he tries to push us away from God through accusation. That God's not working in your life. Look how bad things are. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be experiencing what you're experiencing, So that's how he works. He works to distort your understanding of God. He works to distort how you see God, your view of God. Why would he do that? Why would he work to distort your view of God? Because he knows, he knows this, one glimpse of his majesty, God's majesty, and you are forever ruined for anything else. So he's going to work to distort your view of God. So if this morning you're here and you're not running to God with open arms, it's probably because he's already working. And so let's see if we can blow the cover on our adversary a little bit more. Jesus came to give us fullness of life. I love the fullness of life he gives us, but without your spiritual armor, you are a pawn in the devil's game. And so you need to know about your spiritual armor. So last weekend we talked about Uh, Satan's Weapons and Strategies. encourage you to listen to that one. This weekend we're talking about our weapons and strategies in this warfare. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? And then we're going to dive into our text. And I'm going to read the text completely to the end of the book this morning. And then we'll unpack our notes. Let's pray. God, Father God, we we know the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But you sent your Son, our Savior, to, to overturn his plan and give us fullness of life. Awaken us to the reality, the severity, the hostility of the war that rages all around us for the hearts and lives of men, women, and children to not only take us to hell, but to inflict us with hell. We pray this morning you would break his power, works, and effects in our lives as we study your word and worship you. Our glorious, you are our glorious, all powerful God. Teach us how to be strong in you and to put on our whole armor that you have provided for us so that we can stand firm and advance your kingdom through our lives because we know the gates of hell won't prevail. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's take a look at this text and uh, what you'll notice here in the text twice he says put on the whole armor of god verse 11 verse 13 therefore take up the whole armor of god and so there's three questions we're going to look at in our notes when do i put on when do i put it on the armor that is how do i put it on and what do i put on let me begin reading here finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of in the evil day and having done all to stand firm stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet have having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim The mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you, for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that He may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love. Incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So, three questions we're looking at based on this idea of putting on the armor of God. When do I put it on? How do I put it on? How, uh, what do I put on? First one, when do I put it on? Verse 14, and he begins to work through the, the armor of God. He says, stand therefore having fastened. Then he uses that same language with each pieces of warfare the verbs here are referring to a single past action that is complete. So He's talking about having put on the armor of God. Single past action. Let me give you the first fill in the blank on your notes. So when do I put it on? This is what I need to keep in mind as it relates to putting on the armor of God. All of life is a battleground. If you were with us last week, I showed a video clip from the movie uh, Air Force One, Harrison Ford, and where terrorist boards Air Force One, and Harrison Ford is wrestling with one of the terrorists, and it's towards the end of the movie, and he's at the back end of the plane, and there's that scene where that's hand-to-hand combat, life-or-death kind of situation, and he grabs a hold of the guy and says, "Get off my plane!" You guys remember that? Okay, and just like shoves him off the plane. And uh, that's what it means to wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, and he goes through the list of these principalities, these forces of darkness. It's hand-to-hand combat, life or death situation. Uh, 1 John 5.19, some of your cross-references there, it tells us that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Now, think about that. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. I thought God was in control. He is. In fact, as Johnny Erickson Tata said in her book, When God Weeps, she said, God controls evil, otherwise evil would be out of control. You have no idea how wicked and evil this place could be if God had not restrained evil. And yet the Bible says that God, uh, that, that the God of this, in fact, let me say it, it says the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And so, that doesn't discount God's sovereignty, but we know that much of the wickedness and the evil and the sin that goes on on this planet earth is is because of Him. And so, that would mean that we as believers are living behind enemy lines based on that rationale, based on that verse. It's on your notes. It's not 2 Peter, but it's 1 Peter. Actually, you can correct that. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be self-controlled and alert because your adversary, the devil, does what? Anybody know the verse? Prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So it doesn't just say that he does this occasionally, so watch out for him, but that's what he's up to. He's up to devour you, to destroy your life. So so, based on that, all of life is a battleground. This is what you need to keep in mind. Everybody look up here. This is what you got to get. Here's my point. You don't wait until the battle to put your armor on. You put your armor on before the battle begins. That's what he's saying. Having put on your armor, now you're ready to stand toe-to-toe with the evil one. That's important. All of life is a battleground. And when do you start putting on the... The armor, you, you start putting it on, on con, at conversion. And you continue to put it on. Now, that takes us to the next point. Let me, let me give you the next one. The key to victory is becoming skilled in putting on the armor of God. The idea of skilled means training and discipleship. So as I already said, verse 11, 13, he says, put on the whole armor of God, therefore take up the whole armor of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 um, 3 through 4, it tells us that, and Paul is talking to Timothy, but he's talking to all of us, and he says that as a, as a soldier in the war, learn to suffer as a, as a good soldier in the war, is what he says. And, and then he's, he, he goes on, he says that a good soldier does not get entangled in civilian pursuits. What does that mean? In other words, a good soldier is always on duty, always ready, always prepared, uh, always ready for war because he knows the enemy is always kind of lurking around the corner waiting. So he gives us that, that idea. And, um, and so the key to victory is becoming, is becoming skilled, It's training discipleship in putting on the armor of God. So here's, here's the point that I want us to understand. I come from a Pentecostal background to where deliverance, in fact, there were some deliverance ministries that were really big back in the 80s and the 90s. You guys, familiar when I, you guys know what I'm saying when I say deliverance ministries? It's like people, you know, you're having the devil kicking you around a bit, come up, we'll pray for you, we'll kind of zap you, and everything will be better. And I believe that God can certainly impact our lives. We can be prayed for. There can be things that can drop from our lives. There can be freedom in our lives. But I'm telling you that this whole idea of spiritual warfare is not so much about deliverance as it is discipleship. It's more about discipleship and how are we living in such a way that every day we have our armor on. We're, prepa- we're, we're prepared for war. We're self-controlled and alert because we know that our, our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so it's important that we understand that. It's not deliverance but discipleship. It's about training. Every piece of armor specifically deals with some area of my life which is the goal of satanic strategy. Now, let me share a little bit of my frustration as a pastor here. Here's a warning is that you got to beware of spiritual coasting. When people first come to faith in Jesus Christ, they're unbelievably excited. And I, I love that, and they should be. I mean, because when you understand what you have just entered into in the relationship with God and all the wealth of heaven unbelievable. But sometimes God will protect you in those earlier days because you're a young child in the Lord and wanting you to be discipled and to grow from that point on. But after a while, if there's nothing, kind of no big battles in your life, no crisis happening, what do we typically do? Human nature, we tend to put God on the shelf. We tend to say, ah, it's not that really important to keep coming to church. I come when I feel like it, and, and, and maybe I'll... Uh, you know, maybe I'll read my Bible today. I don't really need to. I, you know, what you kind of go back and forth. In fact, this is what I found is we do a lot of uh, weddings here, a lot of marriages. And this is what I found. I tell this to couples all the time is that, okay, you're going to get married. You're going to be really happy. That's cool. Because you think you found your, your soulmate. Oh, praise God. I hope, hope you did, but I'm not sure what you mean by that. And I know what the Bible means by that. But, and I, we try to walk them through that process. And then they, what do they do? They oftentimes kind of put God on the shelf, and then they, don't, they stop showing up to church because, hey, life is really wonderful right now. And that's cool. I love it. But that soulmate eventually will become like a cellmate to you. <laughs> and you're going to go, what? What in the world happened? And guess what you're going to do? You're going to come running back to Desert Breeze or to the church or to the pastor that married you and go, I don't know what happened. I think I married the devil's Whatever. You know, I, I mean, and that's what happens. And so we kind of put God on the shelf. We kind of do our own thing, and then crisis hits. Um. So beware of spiritual coasting, where spiritual disciplines take a back seat, and all of a sudden you're hit with a crisis. Fiery arrows start flying, and then you all of a sudden start taking spiritual disciplines more seriously. You start coming to church. You start reading your Bible because, man, crisis is here. But listen, it's too late. It's too late. You should have been putting on the armor. You don't wait until you're in the middle of a battle to put on your armor. I see that happen all the time. People run up and say, I need deliverance. Where have you been the last 10 years? I, I got, I'm a Christian, but... You haven't been in church, have you? You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. You don't do any of these things. You haven't been putting on your armor. You have no idea about your identity in Christ. You have no idea that you had an adversary that was leading you astray, taking you on a wild goose chase. You put God on the shelf, and now you're going to come running back to him? Yes, he welcomes you with open arms, but the fortification of your faith takes time. It takes discipline. It takes discipleship. Oh, my goodness. it's, It's amazing. Wow, you are kind of upset about that, Pastor Ray. Man, I love you guys. Oh, my goodness. I want you to live life to its fullest, but it's not just going through and checking the church box, going through the motions. Jesus is for real. He's for real. He died for you. He gave his life for you. And the only response normal would be to sell out for him. Give your life to him. But the enemy is going to do everything he can to distract you, to make other things in life more important to you than Jesus. And so we've got, I I mean, every day, every week, am I putting on the armor? So, okay, so all of life is a battleground. Well, some of you woke up right when I really yelled. I didn't mean to yell so loud, but okay, I did. I didn't mean to do that. The key to victory is becoming skilled. See the fortification of your faith. There's some of you that need to take the game of life. That's going to help to fortify your faith. I, I have the privilege of teaching Game of Life. I love teaching it, but man, it'll it'll help you to become rock solid in your walk with Jesus. It'll help you to kind of learn to navigate, begin to develop the spiritual disciplines necessary. See, here's the deal. Next, next point on your notes. It's the everyday little battles that prepare you for the big battles. See, that's the reason why we need this. The fortification of my faith happens through discipleship. I need to be putting on the armor of God. That's the reason why he uses this this sense. The verb here is a single past action that is complete. So when do I put it on? I better have it on. I better have it on every day. I better learn how to put it on. So it's the the everyday little battles that prepare you for the big battles. Now, in Ephesians 4.27, you guys remember that verse? Ephesians 4.27 says, do not give the devil a foothold oh you guys know that what's a foothold if you ever been out climbing a foothold is just like a little place where you kind of put your foot just a small place you need a lot of footholds to be able to climb the mountain you not need a lot of places but but it's just a little tiny place this small place little place of compromise hey uh, eh, whatever i can watch this i can do this i can go there i can hang out with these people little foothold no big deal he says, do not give the devil a foothold don't give the devil a foothold. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Another verse, Jeremiah 12, 5, it says this. Uh, basically, it says, if you can't run with the, the footmen, if you can't run with men, how are you going to run with the horses? And let me put it in our language. Basically, he's saying, if you can't trust God in good times, how are you going to trust God in The bad times. In other words, if you tend to kind of drift spiritually, things are going well. No major crisis in our life. Just kind of put God on the shelf. Do our own thing. Don't need to go to church this weekend or don't need to read my Bible. Don't need to pray, whatever. He says, man, if you can't deal with the good days, how are you going to deal with the bad days? If you can't deal with the small stuff in your life, how are you going to deal with the big things that come your way? That's what he's saying. Pretty interesting verse. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 it says this a little leaven leavens the whole batch any women cook bread I don't, you don't cook bread but you bake bread don't you shows you how much I know my wife bakes bread I had someone yell out this morning in the first service said hey men men cook bread too I mean bake bread too I had to get it right shouldn't I and any, any men bake bread here excellent not this man I eat bread I love bread Butter on bread with honey. Chase it with some coffee. Ooh! But it's interesting when I've watched my wife with the leaven and watched the dough, a little bit of leaven infiltrates the whole dough, and then it begins to puff up and rise up the dough. What is he saying? A little bit of sin in your life. If you don't deal with it, it will infiltrate your life. It's in the small things of life. That's why he says in 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight. So let's walk this out, Okay. Let's get this really practical. Let me give you some illustrations. It's in the small battles. Does anybody here ever worry? Okay. If I were to ask you, what are you so worried about right now? Would you be able to say, I'm really worried about this. I'm worried about a job. worried about my kids. I'm worried about. So we all tend to worry. Have you ever sat down and thought for a minute and said, hey, uh, why am I so worried? Why am I so anxious? And typically, anxiety, worry is coming as a result. It's secondary to the fact that something that's really important to you is being threatened. And so you begin to worry. But here's what you need to know about worry. Worry is is something along these lines. And if you were to listen to what you're saying to yourself, you know, your self-talk, it's going on like this. It's kind of going down like this in your heart. I know exactly how the day ought to go or this ought to go, this situation, this circumstance, these people, whatever. I know how it ought to go and I'm afraid that God isn't going to get it right. That's worry. So your thoughts are telling you this has got to happen and if it doesn't, then my life is ruined. So you got to get a hold of your thoughts And say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm worrying right now. I'm kind of stressed out. I can see by my voice and, you know, my, ah, I got tension in my neck and I'm kind of lashing out at people. I got some things going on in my life. Worry, so you start talking to yourself. You say, hey, worry is a form of pride thinking I know better than God how this needs to go. So God, forgive me of my pride. I give my life to you. God, in fact, I'm gonna pray for this situation, but ultimately I'm gonna leave it in your hands. I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna trust your grace and your power. How about bitterness? Anybody ever get bitter? Have you ever been hurt? Yeah, the natural tendency is to kind of get bitter. You know what bitterness is? Bitter, bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. It's just saying, hey, I didn't like the way that this thing went down in my life. And yet what you have to do is begin to say, God, no matter how it went down, I know that you're in control and you can take the really bad in my life and work it for my good and your glory. Romans eight twenty eight, Genesis fifty twenty. And so that's kind of how you work that. Anybody here ever get impatient? How about while you're driving? Anybody ever get patient while you're driving? Come on, let's, let's fess up. How many, how many get pay, impatient? Okay, some of you, t- both hands. Some of you just, both hands, I surrender God, yep. I get impatient. I'm not as bad as I used to be. Oh, what's that? <laughs> oh, gee. Was it when I said, I'm not as bad as I used to be, God? That is so rude. Somebody, I, knew, I saw who was up there in that booth. Just for an instant, he's coming down. I'm going to have to say something about him. I can't fire him now. We're trying to move into this building, so. it's our executive pastor, Scott. There he is. There you go. Okay, I'm just as bad as I used to be. I'm making progress, though. But we become impatient. When someone is irritating you, listen to the thoughts of your heart. Here's what you're typically saying. This is what I'm saying. Idiot. Those stinking people, don't they even know how to drive? Well, look at the bumper sticker. Look who they voted for. No wonder they can't even drive. Huh? It's like, so that's, I mean, so we start building this case. We're stressed out, we're ticked off. Those idiots. What if you changed the thoughts of your heart and started saying, Lord, man, I'll bet, I'll bet I look a lot worse than this to you. And yet you're patient with me. In fact, while I was a sinner, you died for me. Well, that would probably kind of start changing your heart, wouldn't it? Because you're living with the reality of the gospel. Wait a minute, God. You were patient with me. And so if I'm not living in the reality of your patience with me, I'm obviously not going to be patient with others. See, that's living with the gospel at the center of your heart. So do you do that? Not typically. So guess what? You lose the battle. It's in the small battles that prepares you for the big battles. In fact, here's, a, here's an interesting, uh, here's a quick uh, there's an IQ, pop quiz, IQ test, IQ, irritation quotient test. When driving, how often do you use your horn? Now, I got three, th- three ways that you can decide. And I, I added to this, and make hand gestures. You just don't use your horn. It's like, what the heck? So kind of that attitude. Did you, hopefully you didn't read my lips right then. I, I was saying, what the heck? And I didn't say that other word. But... Uh, But uh, it doesn't matter anyway because my attitude's bad. But uh, so when driving, how often do you use your horn and make hand gestures? One, rarely if ever. Two, as needed, at least once a day. Number three, it is the most used part of my car. (laughs) The horn and then hand gestures. How about this one? At a restaurant, how often do you complain about food? One, never. Two, only if it's cold or there are too many bugs in it. Number three, regularly, and I go out to my car and honk the horn and make hand gestures (laughs) until they get it right. While waiting in an express checkout line at the supermarket, I, number one, meditate quietly or visualize world peace. Number two, count to see if anyone has more than 12 items. Number three, threaten anyone who looks as if they're going to use coupons. And I said that to my wife, and my wife goes, yeah, those people shouldn't do that kind of crap. <laughs> Did I hit a nerve there, honey? <laughs> She's not here in this service. That's why I told that to you. So it's just between us. I didn't say it in the first service. but uh, So here's the deal. Those are, those are the small battles. You lose the battle, and under your breath, you gripe and complain, becoming a little harder, a little more proud, and you had an opportunity to put the armor on. You had an opportunity to recognize thoughts, the thoughts of your heart, and begin to change them. Let me ask you this. How do you deal with the apathy, lethargy, passivity as it relates to your relationship with God? Did you know that the Bible says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord? Romans 12:11 so how do you deal with that that's a battle that's a small battle it's that small battle that prepares you for the big battles the anxiety the worry the impatience those are the small battles god is saying hey can they pass this battle are they learning to trust me in the small things so that they'll be prepared for the big things in their life how do you deal with your spiritual disciplines when you just don't feel like doing those things those are the small battles These are small skirmishes. Do you recognize them as such? If you keep losing these smaller battles, then you will certainly be unprepared for the larger battles. So here's how you got to start thinking. Do you know to listen to the thoughts of your heart and to recognize the theological assumptions underneath them? Deconstructing them and doing something about them. That's spiritual warfare. That's spiritual warfare. We can do that every day. Exorcisms are the exception, but this, this is the rule. Satan doesn't leave fang marks on the flesh, but lies in the heart. When you look at Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, what did the enemy do? The serpent, our adversary, he didn't come and try to possess them. He tempted them. He tried to, to, try to diminish their view of God by coming against God's character and God's word trying to undermine God and his authority. And he did this with a sneer, intimidation, an atmosphere of, of intimidation. That's what the enemy oftentimes does with us. And so, how do, we, how do we work through that? I spent a lot of time there because I wanted us to understand it's, it's the everyday little battles that prepare you for the big battles. So when do we put it on? We better have it on. We better be exercising our spiritual discipline so we can have it on. So how do I put it on? Here's how we put it on. There's a great illustration of this found in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Jesus and his disciples are in a storm. I'm sure you're probably familiar with the story. There's a few different accounts of this in the Gospels, but in this particular one, there's the storm raging. uh, The disciples are panicking, which is a bit strange because some of them were fishermen that were well aware of the storm, but obviously it was a pretty bad storm. So Jesus wakes up and guess what he does? He rebukes the storm and then he rebukes the disciples and this is what he says. He says to them, where's your faith? You've got faith, but you're not applying it to the particular situation of your life. So while I'm driving down the road, somebody cuts me off, and I'm like, ah, ah, you idiot. He would say, where's your faith? Crisis has hit your life, and you lost your job, and you're freaking out, you're anxious, you're, you're upset, you're wanting to do something to medicate yourself. He would say, where's your faith? You're a believer. You got me, don't you? Where's your faith? So this is what you got to do. Here's your next fill in the blank. It is applying the gospel specific to the lies, temptations, and accusations Satan uses on me. So it's saying, hey, wait a minute. Why am I so stressed out? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so worried? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so sad? Why am I not fired up for Jesus? What's going on? What are the thoughts that dominate my my mind right now, because it's the thoughts of the heart that lead to the feelings of the heart that lead to the acts of the will. That's kind of how we're wired up. The Bible calls it the heart. And so what's going on here? Verse 11 in our text, he calls them schemes. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says we got to be careful, be aware of the enemy's schemes. 2 Corinthians 11.3, it says for believers that I'm afraid that as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that somehow your minds may be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So what this is, is it's taking the very truths of the gospel into the very center of our hearts. It is applying the truth and the love of God specific to where your heart is most restless. You got to stop long enough, quit medicating and looking for the anesthetics because of your restlessness and say, hey, wait, 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 why am I so restless? If I have Jesus... If I have him, I have everything I need. How have I replaced him with something else? See, what's interesting about this is that these are Christians that he's writing to. They have all of these things. They have righteousness. They have salvation. They have the gospel of peace. They have the sword of the spirit. They have faith and truth, but we've got to apply those things. It's almost as if he's saying, hey, wait, 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 in the battle... In the heat of the battle, if you've been reading your Bible, praying, and you've been storing up this equity, spiritual equity, so to speak, now draw upon it. You've got your armor on. Now square off with the enemy. Stand firm. And uh, here's the next point on your notes. It is taking regularly and consistently the truths of the gospel into your heart so that when you're tempted or accused by the devil, you internally and instinctively think, feel, and act as an infinitely loved, secure, significant person. Wow, that's a really long sentence, Pastor Ray. I know. I was trying to get a lot, a big, big thought in there. So it's taking regularly and consistently the truths of the gospel into your heart. God is for me, not against me. So that when I'm tempted or accused by the devil, I internally and instinctively think, feel, and act. It just becomes a natural. It's just instinctual. It's just second nature as an infinitely secure, significant person. Do you know that? Everybody look up here just for a minute. Do you know that you are infinitely loved, secure, and significant in Jesus Christ? And the more you live in the reality of that, there is no temptation that will ever lead you astray. There is no trial that will ever overwhelm you to the degree that you live in the reality of that. That's why it's important to get this stuff down deep into our hearts. That's why he says in verse 10, be strong. Verses 11 and 13, suit up. Verse 13, stand firm. So there's almost a pattern you could see in this text. Be strong, suit up, stand firm. The war is coming your way. So be strong, suit up stand firm. It says in Colossians 2.15 that God has, through Jesus Christ, disarmed these principalities and forces. Revelations 12.11, it says that they overcame him, Satan, by the word, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Word of our testimony means this is what we believe. This is important to us. I proclaim this that God is for me and not against me. So it's putting on the armor of God is to take the objective privileges and the pleasures of the Christian life and so drill it into your heart that you instinctively and reflexively without thinking respond as a loved, safe person. It's just new habits of the heart. So next time someone cuts you off or you're getting ready to, oh, wait a minute, time out. I'm an infinitely loved, secure, significant person. What would that look like in this particular situation? I often do that. If I really believed that I was an infinitely loved, secure, significant person, how would I respond to this neighbor that seems to be a pain? How would I respond to that situation? How would I respond to a, a job loss? How would I respond to, to the loss of a loved one? How would I work through that? My, um, my oldest grandson is uh, five, I've got, uh, I didn't say that in the first service, so I'll, I'll share it now. I think I can. I get myself into trouble a lot of times. I say things when I probably shouldn't. But uh, anyway, I've got, I got four grandsons, and I've got two daughter-in-laws that are pregnant, and I've got two more coming. I don't know if they're grandsons or what, but it's pretty cool. And so we're pretty excited about that, so it won't be long. I'll have six grandkids. And... Um, and so, the, the oldest is five, and they've been taking him over to my mom and dad's house to swim. And so, I was blown away how this kid can swim. I mean, he's just swimming all over the pool, diving down for things without, without floaties. Floaties? Is that what they're called? Floaties? That didn't sound right. But anyway, um, I was thinking of something else, wasn't I? I shouldn't think like that. But, uh, but floaties, because here's grandpa who has floaties on, and... Uh, And it looks a little weird because a little five-year-old is like swimming all all over the pool. And so I was thinking that he, if he were to be, uh, you know, if he were to get pushed into the water accidentally, the kid would instinctually swim to the side. I mean, I thought, wow, that's good. All these kids need to know how to swim because it freaks me out around water having been a firefighter paramedic and I went on a few calls of drownings. In fact, just yesterday, there was a young kid that drowned. I think he was seven or eight years old. Just broke my heart. And I started thinking about using that as kind of a metaphor that you're going to get shoved into the water it's going to be way over your head and if you don't know how to swim, if you don't have your armor on, so to speak, we're kind of mixing metaphors here, the enemy will push you in and if you don't instinct, kind of as an instinct, second nature, it's part of your heart that you believe that you're a loved, secure, significant person, you're going to drown. You're going to drown. So that's what it means. So, so what do I put on? What do I put on? Let me, let me give you a, another video clip from Air Force One, okay? Before we, uh, from Harrison Ford. This is where he gives the uh, he gives a little speech at the front end of the movie. And it's kind of this kick-butt kind of a speech about terrorists. And this is kind of the attitude that we should have. Let me just share with you something very personal here. I got slammed this last week. I mean, I... I got totally plastered. I better define that, huh? It's like this guy went out and got drunk. No. And I should have been expecting it, but I got it a few weeks back as I was studying this. But anytime you deal with a, with a topic of this magnitude, especially spiritual warfare, I had a day that I had overwhelming, unbelievable despair. It took me 24 hours to get out of that. I can't help but think that maybe the Lord just kind of drew back the curtain a bit and let the enemy come after me just to give me a sense of what I know that many of you experience on a regular basis. I don't often experience that. I've had it in the past, and there have been times it's just so dark and evil. It just hovers over the top of you, and I knew that, that God was allowing me to feel that a little bit, and I had, to, I had to stand firm. I had to fight. I had to make sure that I had the armor on and continue to hang in there it got hard. There was like a 24-hour period. I had a sleepless night. I stayed up praying. I was listening to praise stuff, just trying to get through it. I'm thinking, what is this about? You feel like throwing in the towel. I know. Here's the attitude that we need to have. Listen to this, and we'll talk about it. Watch this video.
1: that that remember our indifference that that remember our silence i came here tonight to be congratulated but today when i visited the red cross camps overwhelmed by the flood of refugees fleeing from the horror of kazakhstan i realized i don't deserve to be congratulated none of us do what's he doing let's speak the truth that's not the speech the truth is we acted too late. Only when our own national security was threatened did we act. Radek's regime murdered over 200,000 men, women, and children, and we watched it on TV. We let it happen. People were being slaughtered for over a year. And we issued economic sanctions and hid behind a rhetoric of diplomacy. How dare we? The dead remember. Real peace is not just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of justice. Tonight, I come to you with a pledge to change America's policy. Never again will I allow our political self-interest to deter us from doing what we know to be morally right. Atrocity and terror are not political weapons. And to those who would use them, your day is over. We will no longer tolerate, and we will no longer be afraid. It's your turn to be afraid.
0: I like that. That's a kick-butt kind of an attitude. Now listen to me. Everybody look up here. This is what you need to know. When that despair gets so dark and heavy over you, this is what he's saying to us in the Scripture. Don't take it anymore. You don't need to put up with that. You stand firm. He's saying put on the full armor of God. Suit up. Stand firm. I will no longer be intimidated by the enemy anymore. He doesn't frighten me. In fact, he better be frightened by me because I have the living God living within me and his grace and his power is greater than anything I will ever face. There's that sense of like, yeah. That's the attitude you need to have. That's what he's saying. That's what we need to have. That's what he's saying. Hey, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. That's what he's saying. He's like, come on. Look what you have in Jesus. Don't take it anymore. Don't let him push you around anymore. Don't allow him to kick you around anymore. Put on the armor. Stand firm. Go for God. Let him be concerned about what you're up to, not you being, up, being concerned about what he's up to. So how do we do this? What do I put on? And so we see this. we're going to knock this out very quickly, then we're going to have the band come up. But here's what I learned. And coming from a kind of a Pentecostal background, there were actually times in services where it seemed like that guys would preoccupy on the devil more than God. And it always bothered me. And so if you walked into this room and it was dark, you don't curse the darkness. you turn on the light. And the light dispels darkness. So when you have this coming up against you, you want to focus. It's kind of like, get off my plane, as we said last week. And then you focus on God and His greatness and His glory. And allow the beauty of who Christ is to dispel the darkness. And that's what he's saying here. And that's what it means to put on the full armor of God. This is not a technique to be mastered. I've heard this taught like a technique. Okay, put on your armor, and so put on the helmet of salvation, and put on your breastplate of right. It, it, these are all metaphors. These are pictures of something and actually someone. So it's not a technique to be mastered, but it's a relationship to be developed. And that relationship is, guess what? Belt of truth is Jesus. And it answers a basic question, why am I here, Jesus? Paul said in uh, Philippians 121, to live is Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. What does that mean? I can have a relationship with God through Jesus. He came to, to, to show me. Jesus came to show me God. He also is through him that I find life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the belt of truth, what is life all about? It's all about Jesus. And through Jesus, I can have a relationship with the Father. And that's where real life is found. By the way, you might want to correct this on your notes. John 16, it's not 31, but it's 33. That he told his disciples, in this world, you will have difficulties, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So that tells me that Jesus is greater than anything I'll ever face. So what about the breastplate of righteousness? My identity is in... Jesus, big E on the eye chart. It's about Jesus. Listen, if you try to build your identity on your job or your parenting, your kids and how they turn out or on your health, eventually one of these days those things aren't going to go so well and so goes your identity. But if it's on Jesus, it doesn't matter what kind of storms blow in your life as it relates to what you are about, what you're doing in your life. Because if your identity is in Christ, you're going to be rock solid in those storms. The breastplate of righteousness, my identity in Jesus, that's very clear, In I'll just pick one verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, let me give you another verse, Matthew 3, 16 through 17. So therefore, this is answering the question of who I am. So the first one is, why am I here, and who am I? My identity is in Jesus, and so this is what I should hear from the Father, you know, regularly. You're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased Darren taught about that a few weeks back. How about sandals of the good news of peace? What is that all about? That's being contagious about Jesus, about getting the gospel out. Romans five one it says that because we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 13 through 19 said that whoever confesses faith in Jesus, the gates of hell won't prevail. Gates don't fight. What does that mean? We're kicking down gates. That's why... Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we should be making disciples. So, this answers the question what is life's purpose? We should be making disciples. Here's what I put down in my notes Don't worry about his next move, he should be worrying about what your next move is. We had some uh, Muslims just move in across the street. I can't hardly wait to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. I'm not intimidated. The Bible doesn't want us to be intimidated. I'm looking around at my neighbors. I just now became a part of of this board that's part of the irrigation district, and I was kind of wondering, God, why would you want me to be on this? And I I, I believe that's because he wants me to present the gospel of Jesus Christ in all these different avenues and places where he's going to be taking me. I'm on the offensive, not the defensive. I'm not huddling over wondering, when are you going to come back and get us? But no, advancing the gospel. God has strategically placed you in your neighborhood, in your family, in that region where you might work to proclaim the gospel of jesus christ to be a light in that dark place that's what it means being contagious about the gospel by the way i don't know if you notice this about the armor but there's no butt armor you're supposed to be advancing the gospel right down the throat of the enemy gates of hell don't won't prevail here's the next one shield of faith fix your eyes on jesus who's the author and the finisher of our faith Jesus, yeah, but Pastor Ray, I'm really struggling with my faith. Okay, so you're telling me the quality of your faith isn't so good? So this is what you do. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on the object of your faith because the more you get to know him, the more you will trust him and the more your your faith will soar. Does that make sense? How many have ever noticed that there are certain people you just can't trust and the more you get to know them, the less you can trust them? But Jesus isn't like that. The more you get to know him, the more you can trust him. The problem is that you need to get to know him. You need to spend some time with him and in his word. And so that's how you begin to increase your faith and and you begin to focus on the object of your faith. Faith is truth entering the head about Jesus, igniting the heart and outworking through your hands. And then the helmet of salvation, take every thought captive to obey Jesus. I'm going to invite the guys up. They're going to lead us in some songs let me kind of finish up with a little bit of a story and then you got one more fill in the blank here but but so helmet of salvation where's the battle where's the battle folks it's in the mind it's in the heart helmet of salvation take every thought captive bring it to the obedience of christ you guys have heard this classic story here at desert breeze of the ring bear how many have ever heard the story ring bear the little guy cute little guy five years old had the cutest little tux on But it was interesting because as he was bringing the rings down the aisle, with each step he would take the nice little wedding, you know, kind of step, and he would turn to the crowd and go. He'd take another step and go. Take another step, go wow. He did that all the way in, did it all the way out, stole the party, stole the show. Someone finally decided to ask him during the reception, hey, dude, what was going on? Why were you kind of growling at everybody? And the little five-year-old said, because I'm the ring bearer. (laughs) Got it. So he thought, he had no concept of ring bearer. Ring bearer. So here's how it works. Listen to me. It starts with the thoughts of our heart that leads to the feelings of our heart that leads to the actions of our will. We are what we are because of what dominates our thoughts. What we believe is true. That's why he says here, in fact, one of the verses says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war. We're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So when someone's cutting you off, when you're having that anxiety, when you're being impatient, it's those moments you begin to take captive those thoughts and you fix your eyes on Jesus. And when you feel that your identity's being threatened, you put on the shield of faith. Wait a minute, my identity's not in my job. It's in Jesus Can you see where we're going with this? It's all about Jesus. And so we end, here's the next fill in the blank. So how do we do all this? Bible and prayer. Did you notice sort of the spirit, which is the word of God, and then pray at all times in the spirit. So Bible prayer, Bible prayer. This will begin to create new instincts. So let me ask you this. How are you doing in Bible and prayer? How are you doing Bible prayer personal life? How are you doing Bible prayer small group life? How are you doing Bible prayer as it relates to corporate life? And here's the first two big lies you're going to have to overcome as it relates to Bible and prayer. If you really believe that these are the very words of God, and if you really believe that when you pray and you talk, you're touching the very heart of God, then nothing will keep you from Bible and prayer, and that will begin to fortify your faith, and you'll be able to stand firm. Would you stand with us as we sing these songs and we reflect on what God has been speaking to us this morning. Allow these words to go deep into your heart. My last parting words. You were made to enjoy the riches of the glory of God. Nothing is more soul-satisfying, life-liberating than to see, savor, and show His glory. We've seen His glory. Now let's savor it through song, and then when we leave here, we will show it to the world. God bless you.